0: Welcome to the Between the Years podcast. Here we normalise the mental health discussion, improve your everyday performance, your mindset, and relay the key skills developed by elite athletes. Tonight is our debut Thursday night session in our first series around vulnerability and courage. Lauren White is an inspiration to us all. Her journey has helped thousands of people overcome their adversities already. But in this episode, she will delve deeper into her story unravelling what it takes to conquer her challenges, beat the voice in your head and perform day in, day out. This is the perfect way to open our Thursday series and I am very proud that Lauren has opted to share her story. Let's get to the podcast. Hello and welcome to our first Thursday night session with Fabian Cowdery and Lauren White. Now these first two sessions are going to be really interesting because we're discussing our personal journeys, what we've been through on a personal level, how we've overcome our challenges and adversities, and really just taking a bit of a historical check into our lives. And I know Lauren, who's going to be discussing her journey today, has been through her own challenges and uh, come out the other side with flying colours. So I'm really honoured and grateful for her being vulnerable, and I'm sure she'll help a lot of people in the process. So, Lauren, how are you? I'm
1: all right. I'm all right. I'm a bit nervous to, you know, it's weird, though, because I've done so many podcasts. Um, I've shared my story um, so many times, so many different people. But this is, you know, this is our podcast now. This is something that, you know, we're doing and something that we own. So, you know, coming on to share my story on my own podcast of, you know, obviously the co-hosts. Um, quite nerve-wracking. But, you know, once I'm flowing into the story and I'm into the journey about really pretty much is actually who I am. And there's no right or wrong in this. This is just my story. Um, and I hope that one
0: person gets something from this. And that's all I really care about. So, I'm, yeah, I'm excited. Well the best thing is I know a lot about you because we've obviously spoken in depth behind the scenes about your life but I I just feel like a few things that I don't know are going to come out here so I'm equally (laughs) as interested to learn more about you obviously your journey has been tainted with some difficulties but you're an inspiration in so many ways for what you've overcome so should we go back right to the start of Lauren White's life what were you like growing up and (laughs) how did that shape who you are today?
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely shapes who I am today. And it's something that I try and share a lot around, you know, being the person that I've always become or have always been. Because if I didn't go through what I'd been through in my life, um, if I didn't go through the trauma, if I didn't go through the suffering, if I didn't go through the pain, you know, the bad days, then I wouldn't be where I am today, you know, learning and growing and understanding that, you know, life isn't perfect and there will have... You know, there will be things that we struggle with um, and it's about how we deal with those struggles. And um, by always growing up, didn't know any of this. I had no idea that I'd have to be able to deal with life on life's terms, pretty much. Um, I came from um, a really good background, um, two brothers and a sister, two parents. Um, I'm born in an area called Radler in Hertfordshire. I'm Jewish. Um, on the outside, you know, I had everything. Um, I would say went to a private school um, very, you know, well educated and got got kind of, you know, introduced to a very well to do life. But on the inside, there wasn't exactly, I would say, things that I really wanted to happen. Um, and I had a lot of trauma in my childhood just through things that happened in my in, in my household and things that happened around me. Um, And I don't know why, but my family haven't had the best of luck. Um, And I don't know why it's been like that. And for so many years, I blamed um, life. I blamed God. I blamed external things to why this has happened. But now I've come to terms with it and understanding that actually, I think it's a miracle that I've been through these things Mm. because it's made me the person I am today. Um,
0: You you speak about that family dynamic and looking outside of yourself for... Reasons or excuses as to why things happen and so many things happen that are out of our control. What was the turning point for you in your upbringing where you thought, right, I need to I need to look more within. I need to focus on who I'm becoming as opposed to perhaps blaming other things for the trauma that was was commencing in your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely from a very young age, um, the way that I looked at things was materialistic. Um, The way that I looked at things were very kind of like, you know, I need a house, I need a car, I need to marry someone, I need to Mm. make loads of money, I need to, you know, make everyone see that I'm this perfect person. And I did have this emphasis on beauty um, and beauty being external, so... You know, I had to look good. I had to, you know, have a good job, um, and my constantly, constantly chasing that status as an identity, and it definitely, definitely led me to a lot of issues in the long run. And um, but you know, it wasn't until I, you know, ended up in rehab at the age of eighteen because of those issues and dealing with trauma in a way of, well, if you had my problems, you'd think that you do the things that I would do. So I self-sabotaged, you know, by drinking, by um, picking up um, drugs, by getting into controlling relationships, by, um, I was bulimic, I was, you know, binge eating, I was starving myself, um, I was people pleasing, very, very self sabotaging behaviours. And there was quite a lot. I don't identify myself as an alcoholic or a, a drug addict. I identify myself as an addict because I have that addictive personality. And I'm the type of person that if I pick up something, change where I, I feel, I will go off and running into this kind of like fantasising mentality. Because, you know, for me, All I wanted to do was not feel my feelings. I didn't want to feel the pain. I didn't feel the suffering. I didn't want to feel the low self-esteem, the low self-worth, not feeling feeling adequate, not feeling good enough, didn't feel like I fit in. And the funny thing is, is I was actually a very popular person. I had loads of friends on the outside. You know, everything was amazing. But on the inside, I Mm. felt less than. And how I dealt with that and I substituted that was by making myself look good on the outside.
0: Mm, oh, gosh, it's, it's such a reality for so many people. But it also, your story proves that mental health has absolutely no face. No. Like you speak about your popularity at school. You, you're probably as outgoing, if not more outgoing then, perhaps, because you were, you were drinking and doing lots of things which would give you this external confidence or this external validation Um, but I mean, I want to focus more on those younger years leading up to 18, because for me, listening to your story, it is a massive blessing in disguise because without those years, you wouldn't have turned into this inspirational person who's coaching people on their life. Um, addiction, counselling, all of this stuff has, has been a result of your struggles, which is in turn inspirational. So what were those, what was the family dynamic for you growing up? I mean, are you prepared to speak a little bit more about the traumas that you you faced? Yeah,
1: I mean... I'm be- I'm sometimes very reluctant. I'm going to be straight up. I'm very reluctant to name names in my family. But, you know, I... I, I. My truth is my truth at the end of the day. And, you know, I'm so lucky and best to say now that I'm so close to my family. I absolutely adore them. But, you know, growing up, there was issues. Um, I had a sibling that went to rehab when they were 15 years old for alcohol. The first time I ever got introduced to alcohol. Um, I had um, another sibling that... Um, you know, had cancer um, when I was only 18, which led me to a lot of self-destructive mentality. Um, I had my mum uh, mm. battle breast cancer at age of, uh, when I was 12 years old. Um, I had another family member that suffered with um, anorexia, being tube fed for five years mm. in an eating disorder unit, self-harming. Um, and a lot of these things kind of, you know, made me have this negative um outlook on life um it made me see like what's the point because I had this constant like domino effect of negativity and you know the minute I picked up drink and drugs changed what I feel or I picked up food or men or relationships it took away that pain for that short amount of time and it was temporary and I had to come to terms with that temporary um aspect of it that because it was only temporary and the minute you know all these substances went away I'd never dealt with the problem head on. And actually what happened was the more I was turning to these things to make, to change what I feel, the more my low self-esteem and my low self-worth was going down. So, you know, by the age of 18, I probably would have picked up heroin or or whatever, because that's just the type of person that I was by the end of it. I was a very, very negative anxious, you know, I was dyslexic at a young age, I got told I was dyslexic, ADHD, you know, being, you know, in in, in primary school and secondary school, being in a very, you know, private primary school that's got, got a lot of academic and people in there, you know, it was difficult to have that acceptance. I, I, had, I felt like I had no place. And actually, I don't really talk about it a lot, but I was always into fitness. And I actually, from the ages of 12, I ran for county and I ran um, like, like I wanted to go into the Olympics and I also wanted to um, pretty much excel so much in fitness mm. where um, by the age of 14, I actually fractured my spine um, and I got told that I wouldn't be able to pretty much do that as like a professional kind of thing. And from that, it was very hard to accept. And that's when my eating disorder took play because I just couldn't accept it. And I became obsessed with just kind of like excelling a around people liking me and people seeing me in other aspects. So that's when I got into modelling at a young age. Um, that's when I started working for Abercrombie and Hollister. That's where I started, you mm. know, going into clubs and living this kind of like perfect lifestyle. But really, I was self-sabotaging
0: on the inside. Was your Olympic dream that positive escape for you before things took a slightly worse a turn where you were still looking for... Um, something to escape from the trauma that you were surrounded by. Um, But when obviously that was then taken away from you, you felt that you had nowhere to turn. Yeah. And and therefore what was going to be my next fix was, was on your mind or subconsciously going through your head. Look, I I need to find something to get away from the reality I'm facing. It was that your pattern of thought?
1: Yeah. My pattern of thought was like constant negativity, constant. There's always bad news happening around me. Um, And that's the way that I saw it, you know, like it was all about my perspective and my perspective was, you know, if you had my problems, you do the things that I would do. So, you know, having this constant negative pattern and then obviously your dreams getting tarnished, you know, the fact that, you know, fitness has always been my life goal and I wanted to go and excel in that. It was kind of like, might as well just go and just self-sabotage in a way. And, And at that moment in time, I always describe it as it was working, it was helping me. It was, it was the solution to my problem. My problem was me. My problem was dealing with life, dealing with the things that was going on in my life. The solution at that moment in time was the drink and the drugs and the food and the men or the whatever. But then it changed. It reversed. It became the problem. And the problem at the end ended up being the fact that I just lost complete, complete, love of myself because of the person that I became when I was using and becoming that person of no like no self-esteem and 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 not wanting to look in the mirror I hated the person
0: I'd become and you know I lost my identity I lost who Lauren was um I think what's amazing is when you get to that breaking point and obviously you went you went into rehab which is which in many turns in many I suppose is a blessing in disguise in its own way because It sort of separates your former journey and your new journey. It was the moment that you turned everything around for you and thought, right, that's happened. But it's given me a chance to come off the substances to really address why I'm feeling this way. And often when I speak to people um, and we talk about positivity, it's just about changing their perceptions of negative circumstances um, as opposed to not being able to accept the negative happening Uh, for what it is, like everyone's going to go through hardships, but how are you looking at that negative? Are you seeing it as something I can learn from? Or is there a silver lining to this? It sounds like that was the breaking point. That was the moment your whole life changed and, and you started living this new existence. 100%. I mean, I fully believe that every one of us
1: is wired in a way that we've been wired in from a very young age. And most of the time it's, you know, I'm not blaming my parents for it, but you know, you do kind of pick up the way that your upbringing is and my upbringing was very much like a very negative one but it wasn't a negative one because I had some incredible incredible things that have happened to me from a very young age but when I went into rehab it was almost like they sat me down and they said to me in order to get sober and to change your life around is you need to change your thinking it's not and I, I was talking to a client about this the other day it's not uh, it's not a drug problem or an alcohol problem it's a thinking problem it's the way that i think about life and the way that i think about things and i had to rewire my thinking process and you know the first thing i had to do when i re- ha- went to rehab was you know i had this ego this ego i came in and i you know if someone said to me like who are you i'd be like well i'm lauren white you know i'm i'm mm. this club promoter that's a model that you know has done this and done that and I always had to have a title and I did a post about this yesterday like you know for me my self-esteem was built up by having a status and because you know even even in human nature we always feel that the only way to to kind of prove ourselves to anyone is by having a status i'm not just lauren white what is lauren white who is lauren white you know i had to learn that lauren white is not anything external lauren white is just that and one you're human being, you are and i'm that unique human being exactly and i had to go in and i had to get humble. I had to because for me and we spoke about this before ego is driven by fear and I had this huge ego because it was my wall it was my protection it was the way for you to stop getting close to me because the minute you get close to me you'll see me you'll see my vulnerability and my vulnerability was something that I never wanted you to see because I was scared that you wouldn't accept me so the minute I went into rehab they knocked that down and they turned around to me and they go to me you are going to be taken away from every single substance like I was actually doing a beauty pageant back in the day um and they said to me you're not going to go to that beauty pageant and I was like why they were like because you need to do things that are going to make you feel better about yourself rather than it's going to glorify you in something that actually isn't really glorifiable it's more about what you look like um and it was difficult and they turned around to me and they they, they, they made me sit there for hours on end and do therapy and talk mm. about my feelings. And for the first time in my life, I started to actually feel. Because every time I felt like a feeling was coming up around my trauma, around my childhood, around my upbringing, around anything in my life, I had to pick up a substance to change where I felt. Or I had to do something to change where I felt because I was scared. And it was the best eye-opening thing ever. And then they said to me, are you happy? And I said, no, I'm not happy. And they go, why aren't you happy? And I said, because I've become this person. And they go, but why did you become this person? And I said, because of this person and that person and, you know, doing this and doing that. And they turned around to me and they said to me, but who's in rehab? And then I came to realise that I am in control of my upbringing. I am in control of anything that I do in my life. No one else, because I had this blaming game. You know, if my mum didn't have breast cancer or if my dad was this, blah, blah, blah. Like, if this boyfriend didn't break up with me, then I wouldn't be the person that I am today. No, that's the way that I saw it. I have a choice today. I have a choice to make anything that I do my choice. And I came to that acceptance. And then I realised the only way to be happy and to be truly happy is becoming my authentic self Mm. and i didn't know what my authentic self was but the girl from the ages 11 to the age of 18 and i know that the girl i was growing up i was this like really tomboyish very kind of like didn't care about what anyone thought about me very like loud and whatever and i can see slowly and slowly i started to warp into society and what you know i thought the everyone else wanted me to be so I started you know wearing loads of makeup I started wearing dresses all the time I started to you know get you know guys to like me for whatever
0: isn't it with social media when you're literally told what to do and how to do it subliminally you're looking at these pictures of you know edited people online and your version of yourself is almost is almost masked because you are I don't know having a look at A Kim Kardashian or someone of that sort in this beautiful dress, and it's teaching you how to live your life. That's a problem for lots of young girls, isn't it, at the moment? Hundred percent, it's a complete problem. And I was one of those girls. I would look at the models and
1: I'd be like, I have to be, you know, like these size seven, size zero girls, and whatever. Um, but that's I fully believe that's why I ended up being in this traumatic state because I was trying to compete with people that I was never going to be, and you know there's a reason why people airbrush themselves it's not because they're happy if they if they didn't airbrush themselves they didn't you know face tune themselves then they you know would be that that authentic person and the more you go away your authenticity and you're changing and warping yourself the more you're going away from your truth and the more you're going into this sort of you know actually underlying insecurity there and the more yourself how it works is the more you do these type of things the more your self-esteem goes down
0: okay I've got a question then when was the first time you were prepared to be vulnerable when was the first time you decided I am going to reveal Lauren White and the pain that I'm feeling within and what did that feel like because there'll be lots of people listening in who perhaps are seeking outside validation because they do not feel enough as they are can you just talk us through how that was for you, that first experience. Who were you talking to? When did you first reveal these troubles? Was it at rehab?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been into rehab twice. I mean, I don't put that on my CV or anything, but I do get honest about it. And I do believe that, you know, my story is my story. My journey is my journey. You can judge me for going into rehab, but I fully believe that any problem that anyone has, you need to work on it and change it. And it was the best thing I have did. Um, But the second time I went into rehab was because... And the reason why I share this is because when I got sober at the age of 18, I literally, I excelled. I started to excel so much. When you get sober and you stop drinking, your performance goes up. You, like, become this, like, superhuman person. But the only problem with that was that I was dealing with my sobriety, but I wasn't dealing with the underlying stuff behind it. So from those years of... 1819 to 21, I was smashing it in every single industry, work-wise, and I didn't deal with the problem, which was me. I dealt with the substance, I didn't deal, deal with the problem. And I started to pick up other things to change the way I felt, and work was one of them. And I remember working in clubs, like it was mad. I went from like Drinking and getting wasted every night, not making much money to being like, this is how I'm going to make money. and making so much money at a young age, um, becoming a personal trainer, training celebrities and um, training well-known people. I was doing presenting. I was um, working for Amy Winehouse Foundation, which was amazing for me. But I was overdoing it and I was breaking point to the point where I literally burnt out. And I talk about work addiction a lot. I talk about, you know, doing too much. That's why I know the difference between doing and being. And I had to learn a lot about being. But the second time I went into rehab, that was when I started to get really honest. And I started to say, working in clubs is not serving for me, serving me anymore. Um, you know, being friends with celebrities and well-known people is not serving me anymore. Nothing against celebrities and well-known people. But, you know, I started to really look at what I wanted in my life. And then I got offered a job to move to Hong Kong and it was the best thing I ever did. And from that day on, that's when I went from having an Instagram and a social media platform or whatever that was all about being with celebrities, being with well-known people, all about partying, all about my, it was all about what I look like or whatever. And I went from that and then I went to completely deleting everything to going to my honest truth. And I guess going into schools with Amy Winehouse Foundation was me talking about my honest truth. But there was a lot of vulnerabilities there that I was holding back around my status, around, you know, my suffering. And that's when I started to just completely get honest. I'm not a perfect person. I have down days. I struggle. There's days where I just want to sit there and I want to eat Burgers. And I want to, you know, not be around anyone. I struggle with intimacy with men, which is a huge, huge thing of my me. I still struggle with, you know, anxiety and depression sometimes. You know, this is my truth, and I'm I'm so open to talk about it. You know, and it took me years to get to that place because I didn't. I did when I got sober. I did have this this kind of back of my fingers. Like I still have to prove myself to someone. I still have to prove that I'm excelling in life. Mm. Whereas now. I just don't care and I'm much happier as a person. What is your definition of success? So my definition of success used to be the external so I had to be like you know mm-hmm. I think you know being brought up in the Jewish community I had to be bar- married by 24 having a be- having kids which obviously didn't happen um, my idea of success was having X amount of money in my bank that was my old idea of likes success. Likes on the
0: Instagram. Yeah
1: likes on the Instagram whereas now my idea of success is happiness. Mm. You know I'm so happy that I have some amazing friends. Um, I am so happy that I wake up every day and I'm not picking up substances to change how I feel. And that is literally the most incredible thing. I am happy that I am, you know, not depressed in bed all the time. I'm happy that I'm able to have legs. All these things is what defines as a success. And I always say this and it, no, it sounds really weird, but if I were die, if I were to die today, I would be able to look back and say that I have lived my life.
0: Mm. And that's mad. And you fulfilled your purpose. You found what yeah. you
1: were here for. So that's the thing. I actually feel like I, I'm fulfilling my purpose right now.
0: Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I think you're going to help so many people by being vulnerable. And if you're listening into this and and you're inspired by what you're hearing, I mean, I'm sitting uh, I'm sitting with Lauren at the moment and I think it's jaw dropping how vulnerable and courageous she's being in revealing her truth. Um, but it, it's the only real way to connect with people. You know, I think that's the one thing that you do so beautifully and brilliantly is is your ability to emotionally connect with someone on a deeper level because you're prepared to be vulnerable. Um, Between your first trip to rehab and your second trip to rehab, this word addiction um, is obviously very prominent and has been prominent in your life. Did you find that once you came off the substances, you mentioned you were still looking for that outside validation, did you find that you almost had addictions to things which were perceived as positive, like your work commitments? At what point does an addiction become an addiction at what point are we overstepping the line and it impacting us negatively Mm,
1: it's a very good question actually because you know the definition of addiction is when you're doing something so much that it becomes a habit a pattern a behavior that you cannot control um and it's almost like it goes into our subconscious you know if i'm doing something over and over again like you know going on social media it's almost like I wake up and the first thing I do is go on social media and I'm not even realizing I'm doing it. You know, and addictions can be good things, you know, and addictions can be bad things.
0: But is addiction ever a good thing? Should anyone ever get to a state where they feel addicted to something, even if it's well, a good only, thing, too much water? thing, only
1: you can answer that question. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it's a problem when it becomes a problem. Um, mm. And every one of us, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but every one of us, knows deep down whether it's right or wrong Mm. or it's good or bad you know if you're working every single day and that's what you want to do and that's your choice and it's an addiction and it's not affecting you it's not affecting other people then who am i to Mm. say that you're doing it wrong you know if you're getting up every day and you're running 10k every single morning and it's an addiction something you do every day yeah and it serves you well and you feel happy about it why is that wrong but it's a problem when it becomes a problem you know, if you are waking up every day and you're forced forcing yourself to do a 10K run and you're hating yourself for it and it's stopping you from, you know, doing other things and it's, you know, really, really, you know, screwing up your life, then I would say look into that. And addiction can become in every single form. OCD and addiction are quite similar. So eating disorders are quite similar. It's all about patterns that you pick up. It's all about habits that are created. Um, And, you know, some people are more addicted to things than others. Um, Some people don't have any addiction. Some people don't even know what addictions are because, you know, um, some things are socially acceptable, like you said, work, you Mm. know. Um, And that's why a lot of people don't want to look into it. It's the same with alcohol. It's socially acceptable. So some people don't even want to look into it. Some people are um, functioning. And they're fine. So that's Mm. not a problem. But what I'm trying to say is for me, my addictions, they became a problem. But also my addictions, there's always a reason why I was doing it. And it was covering up the real reason why I was doing it, which was the feeling of feeling and and being. Mm. And some people don't understand that actually it's harder to do. Sorry, it's harder to be than doing. It's easy to go out there and work 24 hours a day. But it's not easy to turn off the light and be in your feelings for 24 hours doing nothing. That is the real challenge. And that's what I had to learn at a very young age. And it was terrifying. But it was the best thing I ever did.
0: Yeah, incredible. It's a just incredible insight, actually, because life's journey is about coming to terms with number one, coming to terms with you, enjoying the reflection that you see in the mirror. And so many people look at self-love or they look at prioritizing themselves and they think, oh, that's... That's a selfish decision. I've got kids I need to look after. I've got uh, I've got relatives who, who aren't doing particularly well and I need to look after them. But I'm just trying to get through to people that you can only be the best version of yourself when you prioritise yourself in some capacity mm. and you take care of number one. Mm. What do you do on a daily basis to make sure that you are the best version of yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I learned from a very, very young age that, you know, From my upbringing, I generally felt like I was a selfish person. Um, Everything was about me. Every single thing was about me. Um, It was like, how can I get this? How can I get that? How can I do this? How can I do that? And it made me a very, very resentful person because I was always in my head. It was always. like my eating disorder? What am I eating? What am I doing? How many steps can I get in my day? Blah, blah, blah. And with my drinking, it was like, how can I drink? How can I do this with my job? It was like, how can I get to be the best? And it was a very selfish nature until I started to learn that in order to get out of myself, I have to be selfless. So when I wake up each morning, I ask myself, how can I be of service to others? Um, And that's how I become the person that I am today and the version of myself that I am today. Even though there is a difference between self-care and self-love. And then self-pity. It's so important to have self-love. Like this weekend, I turned off my phone and I said to myself, Lauren, because I was struggling with my mum being ill, I said, Lauren, you need to have self-love. And it's important to put those boundaries in. Boundaries are so important. But I haven't felt sorry for myself. I haven't let myself get down about it and said, you know, poor me, poor me, poor me, pour me a drink. I've said to myself, I need to ask myself what I need today. But for me, helping other people is literally what i feel like is my purpose and that's how i become a happier person but helping people can come in so many different aspects you know picking up the phone and asking someone how how they are
0: is so important i think it's really interesting actually because you've obviously committed and devoted your life to service but at the same time we're discussing the importance of self-love and looking within So I suppose it's just striking a really clever balance for yourself.
1: It is a a huge balance. And the one thing I would say to people that are huge, huge givers is that If you're giving, giving, giving all the time, and this is what I did back in the day, I gave, I gave. But more of in like the way that I gave back in the day was like if someone called me up and said, can you promote for me today? I'd be there. It was a people pleasing thing. You know, I was doing things for other people rather than doing for myself. And I would not say no. So look into that people pleasing. It's so important to say no. But now, you know, it's so important to have that because I think the more you give, the more you're taking energy. Mm. so that's why I say to you I message you Fabian and I say look I'm I'm not going to message you today I'm going to bed early because that's why because throughout the day I'm draining my energy for other people I'm giving, giving, giving and then I need that time out for myself and it's so important it's nothing personal ever it's like this is who I am this is what I need this is my wants and my needs and what I'm doing tonight is I'm actually not going to answer my phone I'm going to be by myself sitting in a room and I'm just going to watch TV that's it And I think and it took me years and I'm not perfect at it. Like, trust me. But it took me years um, to realise that I needed to have that fine balance between giving and receiving and then just pretty much just
0: just doing. Discipline comes to mind, the discipline of having to live a life where you are consistently getting the best out of yourself in a life of service. You you obviously still have to prioritise yourself. But let's talk about the years post rehab number two because for me and having spoken to you and having got to know you they seem to be the most evolutionary years for you the amount of people you've helped um, you must just be overwhelmed by the response to the work
1: yeah I mean it's mad though because I don't talk about it a lot but obviously I've been a fitness instructor I was a fitness instructor for years um and for me I I felt like I was I know it sounds really strange, but I lived in Hong Kong and that, you know, was a big big part of my life. I think for anyone that's listening, you know, if you get the chance, move to a different country because you learn so much. And by yourself, like you learn so much about yourself um, when you live by yourself and you don't have that kind of, you know, family around you and those people for a crutch. But, you know, I learn a lot about myself because... You know, when I was brought up, I had this like expectation a lot of people had on me, not just me, but everyone, you know, my friends, they all knew me. And the minute I moved to Hong Kong, you know, I could have been anyone, you know, I could have been, you know, Lauren in clubs or I could have been Lauren modeling. But, you know, I actually became my authentic self. You know, all my friends were, you know, entrepreneurs in spirituality and um, a lot of them were, you know, all like into hiking and in recovery, sober. So, you know, those are the people i was surrounded myself around with, not people that weren't really serving me for so many years. Um, and when I came back from Hong Kong, I was still in the fitness industry, but I was in the kind of like fitness um, influencing fitness uh, industry. And it was all about, you know, the external, it was all about events. And it was all about, you know, um, kind of you know building up your self worth on the external and i realized that slowly and slowly it wasn't serving me anymore and then i started to come through this acceptance of the last 2 years that my actual like, i went full th- force into like motivational speaking life coaching went full force into helping others and it was the best thing i ever did and i feel like now i'm this is just the beginning It really is just the beginning, you know, doing talks for brands, um, working one-on-one with clients, even just, like, getting messages on Instagram or getting, you know, messages from people that I've known since I was, like, 10 years old about, you know, I got a message today on on Instagram. on Facebook, f- from a guy that I met in a club, and he was like, "I'm just about to relapse. I don't know what to do." And I just mm. sat there, and I just, you know, he's six months clean, and I sat here, I sat there, and I said, you know, I sent him a voice note, and I said, I gave him advice, like he, and then he goes, he messaged me back, and he goes, "You're such a wonderful person." Like, just things like that, you know, that gives me self-esteem. That gives me so yeah. much more than it did with drinking and drugs, more than it did with you know working in clubs and modeling. Like, that is where it's at. And the more I keep doing that, the more happy I am. Sounds like the
0: greatest fix of all time. It is the, the greatest fix. The one fix. thing that I find really interesting about you that we've spoken about off this podcast, obviously, is the fact that you don't have any nerves getting in front of people and displaying your truth anymore. But there mm-hmm. was a time in your life where you wouldn't have been able to get in front of 2000 people um, like you do sometimes when you go and do the events outside of COVID, of course, and feel completely comfortable. I mean, yeah. it's. What a journey you've been on. You must be so proud of yourself. Yeah, and you know what it is? And I've got goosebumps, but
1: it's funny, though, because the reason why I do that is because I fully believe that the more I have stripped back everything that doesn't serve me, the more I have become the person that I've always, always wanted to be, the more I've accepted myself for who I am, and we spoke about this, flaws, my mistakes, my flaws, um, accept, accept myself for the good, the bad, and the ugly, the more I'm able to share my truth because actually, you know, if someone turned around to me today and was a troll and said to me, you know, this is this and this is that, I'd be like, you know what, I don't care because I am happy. I am happy just the way I am and I'm happy to share my story because this is who I am. But there's no point in me, and I learned this from a young age, secrets keep you sick. And lying about who you are is 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 just going to make you feel that you aren't good enough. And I know that I'm good enough. And it's not an arrogant way. It's not in a cocky way. It's in a way of actually, you know, this is who I am. And I believe in myself. And there's only one person, you know, that is me. And the only way for me to ever spread any sort of awareness around this is by being me, not being anyone
0: else other than me. Hmm. I think it's beautiful to listen to in terms of, The advice that you would give someone who's perhaps in your your situation when you were 16, 17, 18 years old on this journey of self-discovery, trying to work out what their purpose is, trying to cover and mask some of their insecurities. What advice would you give to them when they're not prepared to be vulnerable yet, when they're still on this journey? Perhaps the question would be better outlaid if I said, what advice would you give to your former self?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I would definitely say try and not conform to what other people want you to be try and learn that every one of us as an individual is a human being but also we are all unique so if you look on social media if you look in magazines and you see these people that you know are trying to be the way they want to be remind yourself that you are authentically and uniquely you And the only place in this world that needs to have a you is being a shepherd and not a sheep. And that's how I find my uniqueness is because I try to, you know, try to conform to be accepted. And then I realised that actually the only way to be accepted is by accepting myself. And nowadays I remind myself that daily because I know that the more I accept myself for who I am, whatever it is, under any circumstance, you know, the more happier I am as a person. So, if anyone's struggling at this moment in time, just remember that you are you no matter what. And you are unique and amazing no matter what. And it is a journey. You don't need the answers. I don't think we're ever going to get the answers. And I think that's the most incredible part about it, you know. I'm not the type of person that has woken up one day after getting sober and said to myself, yeah, I'm done. That's it. I've I've ticked off life. I'm perfect. You know, I constantly on a day-to-day basis take back my way at will. Said this today, you know, I can go 10 steps back and 10 steps forward. Mm. You know, I can have one day when I'm sad and there's one day when ang- I'm angry, you know. But I think when you come to terms with life, on life's terms, and you come to terms with you know, things that you can control rather than things that you can't control, you know, the more you realise that actually this world is just imperfectly perfect. And as long as you put your head on the pillow at night, knowing that you've had a good day and you haven't self-sabotaged and you haven't beaten yourself up and you've, you know, you've, you're content, you have this contentment about you, then that's fine. I, growing up, I always had to have this drama. I always had to, like, chase this drama you know it always had to be something going on whereas now i'm just happy just you know going to bed
0: and just being happy well look i think this has been magnificent to listen to i'm I'm so honored to be a part of your journey and um yeah authenticity shines through you vulnerability courage um you yeah, proud to know you and and for to learn more about how you've got through and encountered your struggles and conquered your adversities I think you're going to help a lot of people in the process. So um, Lauren, thank you very much. It's been insightful. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for the next couple of podcasts. Thank you for listening to our first Thursday episode. We truly hope that the themes discussed will help you defeat your challenges and improve your mind. Our episodes air on Sunday and Thursday night, and we'd love you to join this journey with us. If you have a spare moment, please subscribe, review and even share our podcast with those who we can help. If you wish to get in touch with us directly, you can find Lauren and I on Instagram at I am Lauren White and Fabian K. Cowdery. We've got you. See you on Sunday and make sure you keep smiling, guys.